The following content is derived from the preaching ministry of Ashland Community Church in Oldham County, Kentucky. We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ in all things for the joy of all peoples. And we pray that God's grace among us would spread beyond us to anyone who happens to listen. For more information, please visit our website at ashlandcc.net. Thanks for listening. Well, please open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to talk about the ultimate victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. We have this sermon, and then next week we will look at the whole of chapter 16, and that will conclude our series through 1 Corinthians, and we will begin observing Advent together after that. But this morning we're in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58, and I want to invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of God's perfect and holy word. This is God's word. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord, we, we ache to, to know the truths that are being spoken to us here in Your Word, Lord. We, we want to join with Paul in saying, death is swallowed up in victory. In living in light of the ultimate victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ and His cross resurrection, ascension and return. Lord, help us to celebrate that today. Lord, help us to understand what that means for our lives. Lord, I pray for people in this room who do not know the victory of Christ's resurrection, Lord. I pray today that you would open eyes to see, to behold, to know, to be saved, to find salvation. Through Jesus, in Jesus, for Jesus. Lord, we pray this in His name. Amen. Please be seated. At what age does a man stop caring? This is a question I'm asking myself quite a bit these days. You know, when I was younger, I would look at the way 
people my age now dressed. I would look particularly at dads with their, you know, white stone wash jeans and their bright white tennis shoes. And I would say, I am not going to ever dress like that. I will always be stylish. I will always care about things like that. And now, church, I'm beginning to realize that my teenagers look at me in the same way. To be completely honest with you, I have no idea what's stylish anymore. And here's the part that's crazy. I really don't care. At some point, it happened. (laughs) At some point, I became the man. The other day, I came to the realization that I buy 80% of my clothes at Costco. I really do. You know, it looks good, it's good quality, and it's cheap. And best of all, I don't have to make any special trips to go clothes shopping. It's right there on the table as I push my cart to the back to get toilet paper, dog food, and paper towels. There it is, staring me at the face, $14.99, $12.99, special sale. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take that, I'll take that, I'll take that. And I get all my clothes, my dress clothes, my active wear, my casual clothes. It all comes from Costco now. It's good news. I may never have to go to the mall again. Praise be to God. But I was telling Joe this a week ago. I said, Joe, I said, I'm becoming old. And he said, why? Why do you say that? I said, because I buy all my clothes at Costco. And Joe said, you're not as old as you think. I buy my clothes at Costco too. Joe's about 10 years younger than me. And I said, Joe, that doesn't mean what you think it means. That doesn't mean that I'm young. That means that you've joined too. Have you ever thought much about clothes? Why we wear clothes? I mean, obviously, there's some very obvious reasons. We wear clothes for modesty. We wear clothes to cover us. The Bible tells us in Genesis 3 that as soon as sin entered the world, Adam and Eve came to a realization that they had never realized before, that they were naked. Something about sin entering the world made them realize that they were deficient and that they needed to be covered. We wear clothes for protection. It's wintertime. I'm very thankful for coats and warm clothes. Me being from South Alabama, I I can't take this cold weather. But you know, what's interesting is that we also wear clothes for identity. Our clothes contain a message about us. We are communicating something about who we are by the clothes that we wear. You, you can conclude things about one another by just observing what they're wearing today. Now, don't look around and do that, but you can. Like to my children. To my children, my appearance shouts to the world that I'm a dad. I'm a dad. And even if you don't care about your clothes, well, that tells a story about you too. That you're the kind of person that quit caring. Join the club. I'm in that one too. But our clothes are often chosen and worn to to spread a message. I am this kind of person. 
And they, they tell a lot. They can tell kind of what age range you are in. If you're still wearing clothes from the 70s, that tells us something about you. Tell you if you're a sports fan or not. If you're active, if you go to the gym, if you're wearing gym clothes, you probably exercise. If you're a professional, if you're wearing a suit like Jamie Hargrove, you're a professional. Our clothes talk about things. It tells other people things. And what's interesting is that Paul turns to clothes and uses it as a metaphor to teach us things about the faith, about the gospel, about what it means to be clothed in Christ. And he does that in our text today. I don't know if you noticed it when we read it. We're going to talk about it here in just a few minutes, but Paul does this in all kinds of places. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul says you have already put off the old self. You have already in the past put on Christ, your new identity. You have clothed yourself in them and then in him. And then later on, Paul says, therefore, put on love. Put on the virtues, the righteousness, the way of life that is associated with Jesus. In fact, Paul does the same thing in Ephesians 4.24. Only this time, he's not talking about the past. He's talking about the presence. present. Put on the new self, he writes. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, for Paul... There is a past, present, and future dimension to this. We just saw a baptism. That baptism is the past. That baptism, the moment you believed the gospel, the moment that you were born anew, the moment that you put your faith in Jesus, Paul says at that moment, you put off the old and you put on the new. You now are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old you has died with Jesus. The new you has been raised to walk in Jesus in newness of life. Past. But Paul says, but here's the deal. That doesn't mean that you just file that away and never think about it again. No, there's a present dimension to this as well. Because you have put off the old self and put on Christ, therefore, in the present, you need to put on Jesus every day. You need to actively go to the metaphor drawer and find Jesus and put him on and live into your new identity. You are in Jesus. You need to live like you're in Jesus. There's the present. But our passage today isn't talking about the past or the present. Our passage today is talking about the future. You see, in our passage, Paul says, Listen to me, church. This is so good. Paul says there is coming a day where you will no longer need to hear the command to put on Jesus. It will be unnecessary because you will finally have inherited the nature, the glory, the righteousness of Jesus, and you will be that way permanently. 
you too will be glorified. That's Paul's topic in this passage today. So there's three things we're going to look at in this passage. The first one is that I want us to look at is the clothes of God's eternal kingdom. What are these clothes like? As Paul uses this metaphor, what does he mean? And this is in verses 50 through 53. But before we dive in, I want us to flip back a page to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 and 22. Because this is pivotal. Everything Paul writes is, is, is coming out of what he had already said in these verses. Look in ver- at verses 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul summarizes the entirety of human history into two people. There is Adam, and it is through Adam that we are all connected to him, and it is through Adam that we are sinners, and that we are dying, and that we suffer, and all of the bad things and the curse that's happening in our world right now come to us because of our being rooted in Adam. But Paul says, just as in Adam all die... In Christ, all shall be made alive. Those who have put their faith in Jesus are being renewed. And the curse that we have inherited from Adam is being overturned. And if we are in Jesus, we are being made new. We are part of a new age. We are part of a new world order. The old order is passing away. But in Jesus Christ, the new order is coming. And God is going to make all things new. Which order do you belong to? Do you belong to the order that's enslaved to sin? The order that is simply counting down the days till your body is planted into the ground to sleep forever? Or are you a part of this new order in Jesus that through the resurrection of Jesus, you too will receive a resurrected body and you too will live in His kingdom with Him under His reign, joyfully worshiping Him in a new heavens and a new earth forever and ever and ever. You see, the age that is passing away is corruptible. It is natural. It is mortal. But the age to come, the one that is coming to replace that age, is incorruptible. It is spiritual with a capital S because it is being produced by the Holy Spirit and it is immortal. And in verse 50, Paul says, I tell you this, brothers... Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. When he talks about the kingdom of God, this is another way of talking about that new age that we've been talking about that comes in Jesus. The kingdom of God is coming, and you're going to have to be wearing a new outfit if you want to be a part of it. Do you see what he says? I tell you this, brothers... Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You 
will not enter the kingdom of God if you are clothed in your normal flesh as you are in Adam. You need to be clothed in Christ. You need to have received a resurrection body. The kingdom of God that's coming, the age to come, requires immortality and imperishability and glory. That's really important that we understand that there's a vital truth here. Because here's the truth, church. You and I can't make ourselves ready for the kingdom of God. You can't make yourself imperishable. You can't make yourself immortal. We can develop the most sophisticated artificial intelligence machines. We can make you a half robot. But at the end of the day, you are still going to perish. You are not immortal but God, but God, because of His mercy, has made us alive in Christ. You see, the transition that is required to inherit the kingdom of God is something that God does by His Spirit. The same God who spoke the universe into existence identifies us with Jesus and gives us Jesus' identity. We are in Christ. You can't make yourself over. You can't tidy yourself up. This is more than just a little bit of makeup. This is more than just put on some better clothes. Paul's using a clothing metaphor, but don't mistake his point. This is a supernatural transaction. If you want to be a part of this, you have to give up on trying to do it yourself. And you have to come and fall at the feet of Jesus Christ and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I cannot clean myself up. I cannot reform my morals. I cannot on my own be the person that you've created me to be. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need you to change my heart. Can you change your heart? <laughs> Emma's very enthusiastic right now. But he is absolutely right. You can't change your own heart. And you can't change your own nature. But here's the thing. God is changing hearts now. But he's only beginning with the heart in the new heavens and the new earth, He's giving us a whole new person. He's changing it all. And so what is this going to be like? Well, look at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So this process is going to happen at a time in history where there are people still living on the earth. We're not all going to die. There are going to be people alive, and Jesus is going to return, and he is going to begin this process. Paul expected it at any moment. Look at verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, this at the last trumpet is a phrase, an, an idea that we can trace all the way back through the Old Testament. This idea of a trumpet blowing, of God's triumphant kingdom marching on. The trumpet was associated with the king that God was going to raise up to save the world and all the nations in it. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be 
changed. We shall be changed. He just said that in verse 51, but we shall all be changed. Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. All who are in Jesus will be completely changed, completely transformed. And Paul says in verse 51 that this is a mystery. And when Paul uses the word mystery, what he means by this word, and and he uses it in different places, and it always means aspects of God's redemptive plan that were hidden until Jesus came. There were things in the Old Testament promised that people didn't fully understand until Jesus came and made everything known as it should be known. And and Paul refers to these as mysteries. They were hidden, but now they've been revealed. Jesus has made these things known. They're no longer covered up. It's out in the open. Anyone can see it. And Paul says this is a mystery. And, And I think some people would read this and say, well, that's not a mystery. The Jews believed in resurrection. The Jewish people believed in the resurrection. So so how could it be a mystery if Paul's saying we're going to be resurrected when we already know that? It's like, well, duh, Paul, of course there's going to be a resurrection. But, But we have to dig into what Paul's saying. You see, what Paul is saying is this. Not only is there going to be a resurrection, but there is going to be a resurrection to the point where we are imperishable and immortal. There is going to be a final, complete victory. In other words, what Paul is saying is we're not just regaining what was lost when we when sin entered the world, what Paul is saying is that in Christ, we are gaining something that human beings have never attained or experienced before. Adam was not imperishable. Adam was not immortal. But if you are in Jesus, you will be imperishable. You will be immortal. You will be unable to sin and unable to die. In the 4th century, a theologian living in modern-day Algeria by the name of Augustine wrote a tract, and in it he described four phases of human existence. He said, before the fall, Adam and Eve were able not to sin. Those four words are really important because he's just going to play around and rearrange those words in all four phases. Before the fall, human beings were able not to sin. Adam's nature, there was nothing that required him to rebel against God. But as soon as Adam sinned, sin entered the world and infected all human beings. And so after the fall, Augustine said, human beings are not able not to sin. (laughs) We're slaves to sin, Paul says. We've all sinned, every one of us. We sin and we fall short of the glory of God. And so before the fall... We were able not to sin, but now that sin has entered the world, we're not able not to sin. And Augustine kept going, and he said, now Jesus comes and frees us from slavery to sin, so that after Jesus, we again are able not to sin. We're back to that again. As a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You are able to say no to sin and yes to Christ. You are able to obey God from your heart. And then Augustine says this, 
the fourth stage. When Jesus returns and we are resurrected, we will be not able to sin. Praise be to God. We will be not able to sin and not able to die. You know, I went back this week and I, I, I just I read Genesis chapter 3 again. And you know, how many times have I read that? How many times have you read that story, that account of Adam and Eve in the garden with the serpent? And once they sinned, the Bible tells us that they knew that they were naked. Immediately, for the very first time in human history, human beings experienced insecurity and guilt and shame and insufficiency, that gnawing feeling that there's something missing, that there's something that I don't quite have, that there is a gap between who I am and who I ought to be. And so the text tells us that they made fig leaves to cover themselves. And later on, God comes and graciously provides a better covering from animal skins. And, and it's almost like in that, in that moment, God is pointing ahead to a promise that your covering, your covering is going to require a sacrifice. Your covering, fig leaves are not sufficient. You are going to need to be covered by the sacrifice of another. Blood is going to have to be spilled for you to be covered. And all of that is pointing forward, church, to what we sing about every single week when we gather. The blood of Jesus covers us. Christ has died to make a covering. We become who we were created to be only in Jesus Christ. Only in Him. Maybe you have felt that tension before. That gnawing feeling that there's a gap between who you are and who you ought to be. And maybe you're haunted by it. Well, the good news, church, is that in Jesus, that gap is fully closed. In Jesus, you are fully clothed. You are now by faith spiritually covered. Your shame can be tossed aside. Your guilt should gnaw at your conscience no more because Jesus on the cross paid it all. Jesus on the cross paid for your sins and He now covers you with His righteousness if you trust in Him. But Paul's point goes beyond that, doesn't it? You see, there's going to come a day where what you know today by faith, you are going to experience in the future by sight. And you're no longer going to have to trust these assurances because God is going to make it physically, visibly, all the way complete. You will be unable to experience shame and guilt because sin and death will be no more. And this thought really gets... Paul fired up because he, he immediately bursts into song. And that's what I want us to see in verses 54 through 57. The song of Christ's eternal victory. Ultimate victory. When the perishable puts on the imperishable. When what is able to die puts on the nature that is unable to die. And the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written... 
And here he quotes Isaiah 25 and Hosea 13. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And church, what's amazing, if you go back and look at Isaiah 25 and Hosea 13 in in their original context, you'll notice that those are written in the context of the nations, all of the nations on the earth coming to celebrate the victory that Jesus wins over death. This, just, this isn't just for one group of people. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what your family history is. It doesn't matter what, what your skin type is. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your history. All that matters is that you come clothed in Jesus and you get in on this victory too. You know, it's interesting as I was thinking about what Paul is saying here. I just, I've reflected back on my life. You know, my whole life, all I've ever known is death. And you're the same way. We live our lives under the shadow of death. And there's a sense in which I can vividly remember being haunted by the reality of death from my earliest memories. My grandfather died of a heart attack when I was three or four years old. I I never knew him. I have pictures of him. I have the memories that my relatives have told me about him. He was 41 years old. His son, my uncle, I was a preteen. He died at 34 of a heart attack. Shortly after that, I lost my other granddad, my dad's father. And a few years later, his wife, my dad's mother, I lost my mom at too early of an age. Then I lost my step-granddad, the one that my mother's mother remarried when my granddad passed away when I was three or four. He was the only grandfather I ever knew on that side. I watched his body break down from Alzheimer's and his mind leave him. And then last year, or earlier this year, I buried my last living grandmother. And you could probably stand up there and tell your own story like that. That's not unique to me. I'm not standing here and telling you that to like say, look, I've experienced death more than any of you. I'm sure that there are some of you who have experienced death in way more significant ways. And, and we, we, we live under that shadow. We live with that awareness. We, we know Even if we try to forget about it, we know that it's just a matter of time before we're over too. And I subscribe to a school of thought that says it doesn't really do us good to ignore that. I believe that biblical wisdom is living in light of reality. And so I think as Christians, we should talk about death. I think we should meditate on death. I think we should think about death because it is only in light of reality that we will analyze anything else in the world the correct way. Some of us are going to go, as we say, before our time. There will be people at some of our funerals who say, he or she was just too young. He or she had his or her whole life ahead of them. And some of us will go in ripe old age, whatever that means. 
but we'll be ready. We'd have lived a long life before we go. And sometimes I think about this and it, and it frightens me. I don't think I'm alone in that. You know, sometimes it's, it's a scary thought, you know? You, you've never experienced that. You don't get like an a audition before it happens. It's just going to happen one day. And, and it could be anything. It could be a semi-truck driving down the interstate. It could be a heart attack. It could be cancer. We don't get to pick and choose that. We don't have any control over that. We are all living under the shadow of death. And when it frightens me, I try to train my mind to meditate on the gospel, to go to passages like this and remember that my Savior has won a victory over death, and that victory is mine. And that victory can be yours. And I also tend to, and this is the weird part of me, I also go back to all my historical heroes, and it comforts me to think, that they all already passed through this in faith. This isn't something we do and, and there's no model for it. This is the universal fate of us all. And Paul says here that death stings. You know, he says, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? And in verse 56, he says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Those three things are all connected to each other. It is sin that brought death into the world. And it is because of sin that the law is required. The law exposes our sin. But we understand when Paul says the sting of death, we know what that feels like. Death is painful. Death causes heartache. If you have ever lost someone that you love, you know that sting. That sting can last a very long time. But Paul, listen, is not interested here in meditating on the pain and the sting. He wants us to think about the victory. But thanks be to God, verse 57, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He sings a song of victory. In Jesus, death has been defeated. In Jesus, the sting of death is over. Now here's the thing. I like victory, don't you? Josiah and I are going to the Auburn-Alabama game next Saturday. It would have been a lot more joyful if Auburn would have beat New Mexico State yesterday. You know, every time one of our sports teams wins a victory, I know that it's not going to last. In 2021, the Atlanta Braves won the World Series. They did not win the World Series in 2022 or 2023. Because we live in a world where we've never experienced ultimate victory. There was nobody in this room alive during World War I. But if you had been, you would have thought, man, yes, victory, maybe world peace. And then what came two decades after that? Another world war. There's probably people in this room who are alive for that one. And ever since then, we've been waiting for what? There's going to be a, probably another one. You know that, don't you? 
There's wars being fought all around us. We have never known ultimate victory. We can celebrate D-Day and V-Day and whatever day you want, but we know that there's more wars coming. We know that the violence will not cease. We celebrate things like marriage and birth, but we know that it's going to end with mourners gathered around a casket. We have people in this room who have beaten cancer. We celebrate that. We pray for that, that we would beat cancer, that cancer would be no more, that even that they would find a cure for it. But you know, even if they find a cure for cancer, there's something else that's going to take you. There's no ultimate victory. All of our victories in this life are temporary. But the victory that Paul is celebrating is the only victory that is irreversibly incorruptible and immortal. It is the last victory because there will be no need for another. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will be unable to sin, unable to die, unable to feel the sting of death anymore. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, what does this mean for our life now? Verse 58, the temporal lives of resurrection people. Because we're, we're kind of meditating on the future. You know, you could say, well, you don't want to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Well, Paul doesn't let us do that. You see, all of that finds expression in the way we live our lives as resurrection hoping people. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Not in vain. Do you remember what Paul had said earlier in verse 15, 17, and 19? Verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God if Jesus isn't, isn't raised, because we testified about God that He raised Jesus, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But then he gets to the end and he says, your labor is not in vain because Jesus really has won the victory over sin and death forever. Because of Christ, nothing we do in the name of Jesus is ever in vain. And from time to time, we struggle. From time to time, we work and we labor and we look around and we think, is this doing any good? Parents, <laughs> let me encourage you because I think this is, this is where we live, right? Every day you're waking up and you're trying to teach your children wisdom. Every day you're trying again and again and again. And it just feels sometimes like your words are just falling off. Like there's nothing happening. Like it's all in vain. And I want you to think this thought next time you're tempted to make that conclusion. Andrew Fuller. There is reason to believe that everything done for him is productive of some good effect and will in some way glorify His name which cannot but yield a joyful satisfaction to those who love Him. 
What Andrew Fuller is saying is that the Bible is teaching us that nothing you do in the name of Jesus is in vain. If nobody else sees it, if nobody's there to celebrate it, if there's no applause, if there's no award given, you better believe that in the resurrection, Jesus will reward it. Everything we do, everything honors and glorifies Him. So how do we respond? We respond in just the way Paul tells us. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We keep going to the nations. We keep worshiping. We keep loving. We keep proclaiming. We keep discipling. We keep husbanding and wiving. We keep parenting. We keep sacrificing. We keep adopting orphans. We keep caring for the vulnerable and the weak. We keep giving because we know that the victory has already been won. None of it is in vain. Praise be to God. Let's pray together.